0: to release revelation. Lord, we're asking tonight, as we come before you, that you would release the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of you. You would rework and rewire our minds. We want the paradigm of heaven. We want your mentalities. God, I pray the word of God would come alive. The scriptures would come alive. We would not be hidden or shielded in any way from that which is your treasury. But God, let revelation be released to us. Spirit of wisdom and revelation come. God, I pray we'd have a vision for the age to come. That you would give us clarity as it relates to our faith. Release it to us, we ask. In the name of Jesus. Good, everybody said amen. Okay, we're going to talk about tonight the God who rewards. The God who rewards. and I'm coming to grips with the fact that our faith must be a faith rooted in the revelation of eternity. And uh, I'm going to go through the the, uh, chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. And draw some other thoughts in. And I, I just pray that this would absolutely hit your spirit and, and rewire uh, where your faith is based. Uh, I think we've had uh, quite a bit of teaching on the subject of faith. And I, as I've gotten under the covers of these verses in Hebrews, I'm surprised. I'm really surprised at what they actually say and uh, you ever do that you just read the scripture and all of a sudden you go that wasn't in there before I know I've read that a hundred times but there's no way that was in there the last 99 and bam it's, it's there it's been there the whole time and the Lord just flips the switch and all of a sudden you see it in a whole different way and you go oh my goodness this is real what you're saying is real and it's not what I thought the whole time and so uh, let's just look at this let's just begin in Hebrews 11 I'm going to try to move fairly quickly through Hebrews 11. I want to land us in Revelation 20. I'll do my best. Verse 6. You know what? You really can't read verse 6 without verse 5. So let's do verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away taken up disappeared one day so that he did not even see death and he was not found because God had taken him well you could camp there for a minute where's Enoch? I can't find him think he's out there hiding in the field? I don't know, let's go look you know they put out the search party He's gone. Nobody knows where he is. Why? God took him away. That's good. That's an amazing quiet time. (laughs) One-way ticket, no return, gone. Oh, my goodness. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. I wonder what it was like from Enoch's vantage point. You know, you're just kind of like, blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, how does that work? I mean, just gone. Obviously, he didn't have a chance to say goodbye to anybody because they didn't know where he was. Mm, Good stuff. All right. Let's get on to the verses. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found. Because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Wouldn't you love to have that testimony in life? Just please God. You know, I don't know much about that guy. He's kind of crazy, prayed a lot, fasted, didn't eat too much, skinny as all get out. But you know what? He was pleasing to the Lord. The Lord took pleasure in him. There was delight. There was divine delight in the heart of God from that guy. That's, to what a testimony is that? Is there a greater testimony in this life? Won a billion souls to Jesus or pleased his heart? Could it be possible that you could win a billion without pleasing his heart? Could be. Could be. He pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. So what he's telling us is that Enoch had a faith that was releasing pleasure in the heart of the uncreated God. Now isn't that astounding that you and I as uh, created beings. I mean, we're dirt with spirit blown into us that we have the ability to release pleasure in God's heart. Doesn't that surprise you a little bit? Like, I can make his heart feel bliss. I can make his heart come alive. I can touch God. I can touch him. You know, when you're moved by whatever it is that moves you and, and you feel that, oh, inside god feels that from us i love proverbs it says he delights in the prayer of the righteous i mean just when my little weak simple self i mean i just go um god help he goes oh i love it when you talk like that <laughs> and pleasure is released in god that's for us that's all of us beloved when you say yes to Jesus and you turn your face to him and you just say, hey, Lord, I need you. I, I just want to be with you. And I, I don't know. I, I don't even know what to say, but here I am. Pleasure in the divine. I mean, he makes it so easy for us. Can you imagine that you please him? If we really believe we pleased him, for real, if we really had that alive, that I am pleasing to his heart when I pray. I'm releasing pleasure in the divine. How would that change our prayer life? Just the little simple act. I mean, maybe it's just even this. I just, God, I don't even know what to say. I'll just lay here before you and consider you. <laughs> Think about you. He goes, oh, it's pleasing me, Billy. Oh, it's pleasing my heart. How beautiful is that? We make prayer like this hard thing, like you got to get your list out, and you got to do your bullet points, and if you don't say in Jesus' name at the right part, you lose it, just gone, just done. Didn't go by the system, so that doesn't work. Uh, you know, here's, here's how it goes. We go, um, God, could you like do some angels down here and sort of like, I don't know, fix everything? And the angels look at God and they go, the doctrine's not quite, quite right. And, and God goes, I know what he meant, it's okay, go ahead, take care of it. I love when they talk like that. Just go, angels, no problem. God's not hung up that way. You know what I'm saying? He's not the God of perfection and doctrine and prayer. He's the God of grace. It's (laughs) a throne of mercy and grace. He knows your form, He knows you're but dust. And when you turn your little face, your little created little schmuggabugger, you know, you just turn your little face to Him. He's a good father. He delights to know you. You turn your face, you go, hey, um, help. He goes, oh, that you would please me this way. You understand his ear is attentive to your prayer. The Bible says his ear is attentive to the prayer of the righteous. He's going, would you just talk to me? Just say anything. You don't have to ask for anything. Just direct the emotions of your heart. Direct your mind toward me. I'm attentive to you to you. How we listen to the lies that say God's not listening to you, you haven't earned it, you can't pray because God won't hear you, and when you pray it doesn't count because you're so, you know, and everybody knows that you're like that and you're so bad, and God goes, would you, little fellow, would you just say something? Because it brings pleasure to me. You're pleasing me. So Enoch did that. He pleased God. He had the testimony. So, verse 6 he says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe two things that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. How interesting. The writer of Hebrews is giving us the root system of faith. It's not giving us a 10 things to do to make sure faith works. It's giving us two things. And the first one is ultra simple. Like, elementarily simple. I mean, as simple as it gets. He who comes to God must believe God is. God is. And I want to say this. It is the belief, it is the trust in the existence of God that we comprehend by our spirit that God does exist. It is that for certain at the lowest level, but it's got a broader explanation. If I believe God is, then I believe that God is majestic. I believe he's brilliant. I believe he is the God who is. Do you understand? He's, He's a broad God. He's not a little bitty God. If I believe God is, then I believe he's By definition, real God. God over everything God. God amazing God. God as we sang tonight who creates all the stars and knows all their names. The God over all creation, God. God dazzling. God full of pleasure, God. God is, to say that God is, that means I believe that God is what God is. You must believe He is. And that He's a rewarder. The thing about the God is that's interesting is this. If I believe God is, then I'm really believing in the big size God that He really is. I'm believing in who He is over all creation. Then I can certainly believe in who God is over my life. And the one who believes that God is, is the one who believes in The sovereignty of God in my life. In other words, if He can hold the heavens, He can hold little old me. And that He can orchestrate and construct the activity of my life the exact way that He desires because His will is the best will, and His best will is the best thing for me. If I believe that God is, then I believe that He is sovereign, I believe He's in charge. I believe he's got it together. And I believe it this way, that nothing will come my direction in this life except for by the loving hand of God. Even the attack of the enemy will come under the guise, under the canopy of God's loving hand. Why? So he can create in me a faith that's tried. He can create in me a faith that's strengthened. He can create in me a faith that that conquests. See, if there is no victorious faith, if there's no attack on that faith, the God who is is the God who is sovereign. And I tell you, this God who is will not allow a thing to touch your life except for by His loving hand for your best interest. He's the God who is. Faith. We must believe that God is. And then we must believe He is a rewarder. A rewarder. And that's interesting because what we do is we take that language and we, say, we go this way. We go, well... If I believe in God, then God's going to give me stuff in this life to make me happy. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Glory. It's going to make my life blessed. But when we look at Hebrews 11, it's bizarre because though these people had many manifestations of the presence and the power of God in their life... The Bible says two different times in the chapter that they died without receiving the promise. What? The reward of their faith. The promise being the reward of their faith. They died without receiving the promise. So how does that work exactly? Let's just look through these things a few minutes. So, Hebrews 13. I mean, I'm sorry. 11, verse 13. I'm going to have you all believe it. I'm reading out of the Humphrey Bible in a minute. You'll be looking at Hebrews 13. I'll be reading Hebrews 11. Everybody will be looking at each other. Okay. 11:13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now by verse 13, the ones that they're describing are Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah. All of them are described as not having received the promises. That's pretty amazing if you think about it. Like you think about Enoch, we just talked about him for a minute. I mean, he is the, I mean, probably top shelf, best quiet time that anyone's ever had under existence. You know, John the Revelator, I mean, he goes up, but he came back down. And when he came back down, you know, that kind of had to have been a little bit like, oh, I to stay back up there. But he comes back down. Enoch, he goes up. We don't ever get the report about what he saw. He never comes back down. Undoubtedly, he saw what, he, uh, what uh, Daniel saw and what Ezekiel saw and what John saw and what Moses saw. Undoubtedly, he saw what Isaiah saw. He saw the throne of fire. He saw the cherubim and the seraphim. He saw the colorful glory emanating from the very being of God. He heard the thunders and the lightnings, the voices. He saw the emerald rainbow and the sea of glass. Undoubtedly, he saw the thrones around the throne, the elders. Undoubtedly, he saw the myriads of angels. Ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. And then they said, hey, Enoch, sit over here. That was it. How are you going to tell me that Enoch, when his life ended on the earth, he didn't receive the promise? Like, that's pretty good. What he got was huge, guys. But he didn't receive the promise. Abraham. God tells him, he says, Abram, get out from where you live. I'm going to take you into a land you do not know. I'm going to make of you the stars of your generation, your lineages. I'm going to make so many, it'll be like the stars of the sky. And God, within six verses from the time that he calls him, God takes him right into Canaan, and he shows him the Canaan land. He shows him the inheritance. He shows him the promise. And Abram, if we remember it, his name is changed to Abraham. And then he ends up having a son he's a hundred years old his wife was 90 now come on a hundred year old man and a 90 year old wife and they have a baby and they didn't receive the promise like are you are you playing with this like what do you mean you didn't re- they didn't receive the promise certainly they received the promise now the bible says that they died in faith not having received the promise like, how does a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman have a, have a baby? Sarah, his wife. It just doesn't work. I'm going through these things, and I'm saying, how can you say that their faith did not attain for them the promises? How does that work? Because he's talking about a different promise, beloved. He's not talking about a promise that you sense here and now and that you feel with your physical body, with your senses, you touch with your hands and see with your eyes. He's talking about a promise of an eternal nature. When it says he died without having received the promise, it's talking about he hasn't received that which is promised in the next age. And so when it's talking about you must believe that God is a rewarder One who makes good on his promises is the idea. One who gives to you when you live life faithfully in this age. The reward of God is that which is to come. And all these died in faith without having received the promise. And I'm touched with it, and here's why. Because they said, In this life, I'm nothing more than a pilgrim, I'm nothing more than a sojourner, I'm a stranger in this place. And see, our challenge is this. We we are not made for this place, beloved. We're not made for this zip code. We're not even made for this nation. We're not made for this planet. We're not made for the hottest vacation spots. We're not made for the lifestyles of the rich and famous. We're not made for everything that our senses and the spirit of this age tells us we're made for. We're not made for any of it. You know what we're made for? what our eternal sense, our spirit within us tells us we're made for. You know what we're made for? We're made for forever. We're made for eternity. We're made for an abiding possession. We're made for a city whose builder and maker, his ar- the architect, is God itself. Eternity. It's written on our hearts. God's made all things beautiful in their time and he's written eternity. Eternity on the hearts of men. You have eternity written inside you. And it's beckoning you. It's declaring to you. It's calling to you. It's, it's telling you all day long, you weren't made for this realm. This is not what you were made for. In God's reward system, it looks like this. He goes, resist the impulse of the spirit of the age. Reject the pull of your flesh to indulge in this life. Reject it. And great will be your reward. It's Matthew 6. Amazing. Found our way back to the Sermon on the Mount. It's what it is. And he goes, and don't do your works in this life to please that which is temporary. Don't do your works to please men. Don't do your works to give yourself immediate gratification. Why? Because if you don't, great will be your your reward. Beloved, we've gotten to come to grips with this, that our God He's a rewarder. He's a rewarder. If we have no vision of the reward, we have no anchor to our faith. Isn't it shocking to find out that your faith, the two prongs and the two anchors of your faith are in this? Number one, you believe in the God who is, and you believe the God who is, is one who loves to give you stuff. He loves to give you things. That's the two prongs of our faith. It's a shocking little, you know. That just kind of goes against almost everything I believe faith was. Because what I mostly believe faith was about was, how do I tap into the power of that which Jesus bought through his sufferings, his death, his burial, his resurrection, unto manifesting something in this life that makes me more happy in this life? Right? We go, okay, by his stripes, we are healed. My faith is anchored to this, that I am healed. Now, I'm not saying that's a wrong thing. I'm saying he certainly did buy us, I mean, amazing kingdom realities and blessedness in this life. But, beloved, that's only, you know, a fraction of the entire equation. Do you understand? There's ages to come. There's ages to come. Woe to the one that doesn't know the man Christ Jesus. Their ages to come are all death and suffering, torment, alien from the pleasures that God has promised us that He wants to show us in the ages to come. Woe to that one that doesn't know the man Christ Jesus. Mercy on that one, God, we ask. Draw on the lost in massive amounts, God, please. But woe to us. If we believe that our whole faith is about how we can have a better life in this age, the entirety of our faith is not even focused on this age. It's a fraction. Surely there's kingdom manifestation. Surely there's things that God wants to bring about in our life that bring a blessedness from the kingdom of God to us. Surely there's things that God wants to move and shift and break in and take cities in this age. But can I tell you something? It's unto a further age, it's unto another reality in God that hasn't even, we haven't, it hasn't even barely crossed our minds. And the way that those heroes of the faith in Hebrews, the way that they persevered in life and the way that they looked at this age and they said, I am not anchored to this life. I am a stranger in this land. I am not giving myself to the pleasures of this age. The way that they did it was because they understood they had an abiding possession in an age that was to come. It was more real to them than the 70, 80, 120, based on how old they lived years they got in this life and I tell you it must be true of us or our faith is faulty and the spirit of the age will swallow us up in allurements and pleasures trying to draw us into enticements and immediate gratifications in this life oh that we could see oh that we could see every time we do a work in God, by God's grace, unto his heart, and he goes, oh, there's another thing in me that I'm going to be able to bestow upon them. It's called a blessedness. It's called a reward. It's called a a gift. It's called a crown. Can you imagine this? You're going to get there in that day, and every righteous act that you've ever done in this life will be woven together in a holy tapestry of beauty, and you will receive a garment based on the righteous acts of your life. It's called a white robe. And it is the righteous acts of the saints. It's of heavenly origin. There's no clothier, under created order that can come up with a garment as this. No weaver, no seamstress. Threads of divine origin woven together from the very heart of God. The God who rewards will look you in the eye and he'll place this garment upon you in that day. Then he'll go, oh, I've got a few more things. Here's a crown. Golden, but not human gold. That which the streets are made of. Arrayed with jewels. This is real. And from the divine personality of God, the one who delights to give rewards, he will then look you in the eye and place upon your head, based on your faithfulness in this life, something that he delights to do, give good gifts to his children. It's a father's good pleasure to give the kingdom to his children. This is the this is the anchor of our faith, beloved. If we don't believe that God wants to reward us, half of our faith is fully out of focus. It's undeveloped, and it's faulty. It's a shock. And this reality causes us to persevere in this life. This is what enables us to look at all the pleasures and the allures of this life, and look at all that the spirit of the age is trying to feed us. Look at all that man would try to tell us is worthy. And I tell you, in the mind of God, that which man esteems as worthy is not worthy in the mind of God. And that which God esteems as worthy is not worthy in the mind of man. It's a shocking thing, but God calls it the foolish things of life. He's not interested so much in the outer things, he's interested in the inner things. That's why he's going to look at every thought, that's why he's going to look at every word spoken in secret. That's why he's going to look at even this. If you give a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, in the name of one that's serving Jesus, there's a reward for you. He goes, I tell you, if you give a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, you will by no means lose your reward. What will it be like for you in that day when you are arrayed with the beauty of heaven, clothed with righteous garments, Beautiful and splendor, glory of divine origin, crowns, and more gifts. I don't think it ends with the crowns, and I don't think it ends with the clothes I think it it goes on and on and on. I think there's rewards beyond what you and I can fathom. It's part of Ephesians 2 where he says that in the ages to come he might show the the riches. He wants to show you the riches. What a compulsion then to my heart it is to live faithfully in this life. It propels me and says, you know what? I can fully go in sixteen, seventy 70 years and say no to all the allurements, all the attachments of this life. I can say no to all of it and say yes to you because you, number one, are delighted in heart when I move your direction, when I, when I do works unto you who is in secret. And number two, you're going to bless me from the very storehouses of your emotion. You're going to release to me the, the goodness of your pleasure. I can live for this. You know why we have a hard time living for that? We have no vision of it. When our vision is faint and our faith is rooted in the here and now, we have no concept of that which is to come, which most of us, we just don't. I mean, it's just new to my heart and my mind. I'm just trying to get my mind around. I'm just trying to meditate on these realities so that my faith can have a true anchor as the fathers and the prophets had. We have no vision of that abiding city. Why not give it up in this life and get all I can get? Because I don't have a vision of the beauty that's coming. I tell you what, that'll put Proverbs 29, 18 in in, uh, perspective for you. The verse that says, without a vision, my people cast off restraint, they perish. a a, A prophetic revelation of the eternal realm fully in this life they'll cast off restraint fully skip down a few verses let's look at Moses this is touching me in a deep way and I'm recognizing that I don't have near enough of this revelation some would say well you're so heavenly minded you're no earthly good and I tell you you cannot be earthly good unless you're heavenly minded for your faith will be faulty Hebrews 11, 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. This verse has been eating my lunch. It's an amazing verse. I can't... Moses, he was going to be a prince in Egypt, beloved. He was going to be a prince in the palace. One of the most... Brilliant, glorious, powerful nations that was existing on the planet. He was going to be right there. He had, I mean, he had everything at his fingertips. When he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused it. No, I don't, I don't want that. It's not the reality I want. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Do the math. I'll be a slave with all the slaves rather than my next hundred years in this life that'll lavish me with pleasure. I'd rather live with the slaves and suffer affliction, persecution, and reproach. I'd rather resist all that Egypt can offer me so I can live with the people of God. What? In authenticity, that's the idea. So he goes, Well, Moses, you could be in the palace, you're going to be a deliverer. Don't you think that if you got in the palace, you got all that political clout going, you got a bunch of money, don't you think, Moses, if you wanted to get the people delivered, all the slaves set free, that the best route for you, Moses, don't you think it would be to climb the political ladder and get you a little platform, use a little of that clout and your little position, and then certainly, Moses, you could see him set free. He goes... Yet, it's probably not going to work. That's a lie. But he goes, secondarily, it's not authentic. It's not real to me. I want what the people of God have. And if it means suffering, affliction, I'll take it. That's what he did. Suffer affliction with the people of God. How did he make that? How did he do the math on that? How did he do the math? Verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ... Has greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. What does that mean? That means he looked at the reproach that he would suffer in, in being a slave, and he said, "That is greater riches than everything I can get in Egypt." Moses, did you lose your mind? Moses, what are you thinking? No, no, all those treasures in Egypt are far greater than you living in rags and walking around the desert. My goodness, Moses, what are you thinking, Moses? He goes, no, you don't understand what I'm looking for. Last little phrase, for he looked to the reward. He goes, that reproach which I embrace in this life is granting for me far greater riches than any natural little paycheck. Some little tip I could get by being a prince in the palace. Because that's not even a tip. That's that's the old crusty penny that you find in the gutter in this life compared to the reward of the eternal that I'm going to receive. He looked at the reproach and he said, it's far greater riches. How? Because he looked To the eternal, beloved. You know why our minds tilt right there? Our minds tilt there because we have no picture of the eternal. We have no concept of the eternal. And therefore, when I say, look to the eternal, half of our minds we go, it's a fat baby floating on a cloud playing a harp. I don't understand. Like, how is that supposed to sort of make my heart excited and feel like a greater sense of riches? I'm telling you, there is a whole nother age to come that has so many features that you and I can't even conceive of. And here's the deal the Bible's full of verses about it, full of verses about it. And when we see the verses and it says something like, the streams will spring up in the desert, because our our minds can't imagine a dry, arid place with a stream coming out of nowhere, and God uh, making the land fertile and beautiful, and and we can't imagine animals living with uh, in peace, and we can't imagine the man Christ Jesus actually living on the planet. All of a sudden, instead of seeing it for what the verses actually say, what what, what do we do? We go, well, that must be spiritual. So it just means that when I'm living dry, God will give me a spring in my heart. Well, yeah, he will. But that's not what he's talking about in Isaiah 35, which is what I'm quoting. Isaiah 35 in the springs in the desert. He's talking for real. And the lame shall leap and the blind shall see. He's talking for real about the reality of Jesus living on the planet. And the kingdom manifest throughout all the earth. Now let's do this. Let's turn over for our last few, few moments. Let's turn over to Revelation chapter 20 Are we still together? Are you still with me? Yeah. Revelation 20 Oh God give us a vision Of that which is to come. Give us a vision of you who are the rewarder. Verse 4. Then I saw thrones. And they sat on them. And judgment was given to them. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. Because of their testimony of Christ. Jesus. And because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand. And they came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Say that first sentence. I saw thrones and they sat on them. Judgment was given to them. Then the last phrase, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years thousand years I'm convinced the subject of the millennial kingdom the subject of the millennial reign of Christ it is the most practical thing we can teach on in this age I'm convinced of it so I say what are you talking about no no it is the pillar and anchor system of your faith if we don't have a vision of this next age, we live without faith in this life. Beloved, there's a real thousand-year reign of Jesus coming. When he returns, as we sang tonight, and how much do I love our prophetic singers singing the message before I get to preach it. Oh, I love it. It's just the coolest I mean, one of the coolest things about doing our help. First thing they isolate tonight. You know, we're going up. He's coming in glory. Well, When he comes in glory, he's not going away in glory. He's coming and establishing a kingdom. The kingdom come reality will uh, have its greatest manifestation uh, that we've ever seen at the end of this age. Kingdom come, will be done is not simply sort of a good thing to pray in this life to get sort of some power stuff going. Kingdom come, will be done is this. We're asking Jesus to come to the earth and establish in a global measure his kingdom. There's a day coming when he will return. We will rise, we'll meet him in the air. He will then come to the planet. He will do what Isaiah 63 says. He will judge the nations in righteousness and then he will set up his eternal throne in Jerusalem. And he will rule the planet from Jerusalem in a real reality where time doesn't stop. Time doesn't stop when Jesus comes back, guys. Time continues. How do we know? It's a thousand years. We have got to do seconds to get minutes and minutes to get hours, hours to get days, days to get years. A thousand of those. He's going to live on the planet in that manner for a thousand years. Within time, the natural processes of life do not just go away. In fact, he's coming back as a man in a glorified body. What's a man in a glorified body look like? Well, he showed up and appeared to the disciples 40 days on the earth. He talked with them. He walked with them. Sometimes his glory was uh, you know, radiant when he appeared, like when he appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos. Sometimes his glory was veiled. When he, when he appeared to the, the guys on the road to Emmaus, he appeared so veiled in his glory that they couldn't even see who he was in a natural manner. This man, Christ Jesus, in a glorified body, is going to rule the planet. The Bible says in Isaiah, the law will go forth from Jerusalem. He will instruct the nations. This is a real day in your future, beloved. See, we always think die, go to heaven, die, go to heaven, die, go to heaven. You've got to understand this. The die, go to heaven reality is only what we've been experiencing in this age until Christ returns. It's a 2,000 year phenomenon. There's glory experience in that, pl- in that place, but it's not the, f- uh, the fulfillment of complete glory because there's a further age coming that Revelation 21 says, oh, I'm going to tilt your brain now, and God's going to fuse time and eternity. He's going to fuse heaven and earth. And the plan that he constructed, which he said in Ephesians 1, 9 and 10, he said that I might sum up all things in Christ. It's going to come to pass and that'll be the fulfillment of glory when the eternal father makes his tabernacle among men see we've got almost see this is just going like what the heck are you talking about and the reason why is we've got almost no vision of the rewards there's a thousand years coming the man Christ Jesus will rule every facet of society will come under his leadership and here's what's going to stun you now I saw thrones and judgment was committed to them. Who's the them? Those on the thrones? Who are they? Saints. Now consider this. God is going to give saints in the age to come judgment. The ability to make judgments committed to them. The ability to make decisions, the ability to look into affairs and make considerations and decide what happens in this city and in this place. God is going to give the saints that authority. And it's not going to be because you've just turned into some Holy Ghost robot you're going to have corporality. You're going to have a body that people can touch and feel. You remember when Jesus showed up in the midst of them and Thomas had said a week earlier, he said, unless I feel him, feel my, put my fingers in his side, touch the holes in his hands, I won't believe. He shows up, he goes, feel me, touch me. He was Jesus in a glorified body. He touched him and felt him. It's a real body. You know what? You'll still have a real body. It'll have supernatural properties. My sons love the glorified body. They love it. I go, you're going to be, be able to run fast. I go, how fast? I go, you're going to be able to travel at the speed of thought. Speed of thought, what's that? If you can think it, you can be there. <laughs> like, like Superman, I go, faster. They just love it. I go, you're going to be able to walk through walls. Walk through walls? No way. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. This is a real thing for you This is a real thing for you, beloved And I tell you the, the, To the extent that we don't have our minds around this We live uh, Focused wrongly in this life First Corinthians 15, it says this That if we hope in Christ Only in this age Only in this life If our hope is in Christ For only this life We are among the most pitiable because our faith has no future reality I just want to move through some thoughts I'm convinced that our lives in this age do not make sense unless we have a picture of the age to come you're serving Jesus unto what going to heaven and what you see what I'm saying? All of a sudden, the end of the picture just sort of gets blurry and just sort of fades away. But there's verses and verses and verses that identify that there's a whole another age with lots of clarity and then after that there's ages. And if we live in this life without any vision of the age to come, I tell you we live like really veiled in our understanding to the big picture purposes of God. We have no concept of the kingdom we have no picture where this thing is going and therefore our faith in this life is broken down and so then what we end up doing is living in this life just trying to get along just trying to persevere just trying to say no to sin just oh we're just going to hang on until we get there and why? because we think it's all over at the end of this life at the end of this age beloved there's so much more so much more we will lack perspective perspective we don't have a vision of the age to come. I'm just struck over it. I'm struck over the fact that the faithful in this life will receive government, the ability to make decisions in Jesus' eternal kingdom. Now, how is that? Well, it's delegation. Jesus, the king of the earth, will draw his faithful saints to him and say, here's our plan. It's the kingdom come. will be done. Reality. Now, you go to this place and in this city I want you to go ahead and manifest my kingdom and release kingdom rule and you make judgments based on the kingdom of God go for it and you will have the real authority to do that in that day you're not just going to be some Holy Spirit robot you're not going to be just you know some person that looks like the sun all the time you're going to be really living in a real body Living this life out. It's part of this fact. Our God is a God who rewards. And our faith is based in this. He rewards those who diligently seek him. It's what our faith is based in. How stunning would it be to you? How stunning should it be to us? That our faith is supposed to be rooted in the eternal reward system of heaven that all the fathers and the prophets look to, yet we have almost no vision of it. Is that amazing to anybody? It's amazing to me. And all that God would release vision for us. All that God would give us the impression of it. Last verse. 2 Corinthians 5. Just look at this together. I'm going to hang in here on this for a few weeks. I'm going to nail this point home a little bit. Because I'm convinced you can't live the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle if your whole vision of life is to be good in this age. I'm convinced of it. What caused Moses to persevere was the fact that he looked to the reward of the eternal. We won't be any earthly good unless we get a vision of heaven. Of heaven coming to earth and of the age to come. Look at this, verse 10. Verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed, paid back for his deeds in the body, rewarded for his deeds in the body according to what he has done. Now here you go. Whether good or bad. Whether good or bad. It's an amazing thought, but God, even for believers, God releases rewards in the positive and considers even the negative. It's an interesting reality. I wanted to just sort of throw that at you to consider over the next next week because I'm going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ next week. But there is in the mind of God as he identifies reward and he looks even through the veil of the blood, even for the born again, This is I'm not talking about uh, whether it affects salvation I'm talking about for the born again that he even looks into the life of the born again and there are those who are born again in this life yet the entirety of what they have done in this life will be incinerated when they see Jesus and, and their entire all of their works will be burnt and their works are what determine their reward it's a, a shocking reality It's all based on faithfulness. It's all based on faithfulness in this life. Go ahead, worship team. Let's just go ahead and come. We're going to ask the Lord to give us revelation. Open our eyes to see the eternal. The real eternal. Not that thing that we've believed. Not that false picture. Because so many of us live broken in this life. Because we have no picture of the, of the eternal. So many of us live hopeless in this life because our picture of the eternal is in this. We think we're just going to go to heaven and just sort of float around on a cloud. That doesn't sound fun. You know what's hard? How many people believe that heaven is going to be boring? Eternal life with God will be boring. The God of all pleasure... Living with him is going to be boring. Why would we believe that? We have no no vision of it. We have no picture of it. And so we live fairly purposeless in life without any abiding vision of the ages to come. We fulfill the verse in Corinthians 15, the most pitiable, the most pitiable in this life. Good, let's just stand.